Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. This is episode number 83, and I'm your host, Diane Emerson. Today, I'd like to continue on with the gaslighting episode. This will be part two. It's a two-part series, and I really would recommend that you take a um, look at the first part, pull all this into context. So anyway, in the last episode, I was talking about um, projection and how people um, will use projection when they're using gaslighting. And I got a couple of examples here. One is if if they're if the person doing the gaslighting is a drug user or a cheater, you probably con- you're probably going to be constantly accused of these things. And they do it so often, you start to defend yourself, and you're distracted from the gaslighter's own behavior. So you have a real catch-22 going on here because they're telling you that you're doing the things that they're really doing. So you really start to question, okay. So these are really normal people that in your life and people that you trust and so on. So they can influence those people in your life, the people that you trust and rely on. Because the idea that I started in the last episode is it's about control. And how do they get that control? They get that control by getting you to feel crazy and by getting you isolated. So gaslighters are really masters at manipulating. And they find the people they know will stand by them no matter what. And they will use one or more people against you. These are people in your own life that they'll turn against you. Little ways, subtle ways. And they'll make comments such as, this person knows that you're not all right. This person knows that you're a useless tool. See, it kind of keeps reaffirming what they're trying to get you to believe. So keep in mind that it does not mean that these people actually say these things about you. Remember, always look to where you're getting the information from. So a gaslighter is a constant liar. They're hiding in a bit of the truth while they're lying. And with such clever deceit, because they're picking together pieces of the truth to weave into these lies. So there's a thread of truth in there. So it happens like it's the truth, but it's really a lie. So when a gaslighter uses this tactic, it makes you feel like you don't know who to trust or who to talk to. Yeah, because many people have gotten you isolated. They keep these people from you because that keeps you turning back to them. And that's exactly how gaslit people operate. The victims stay with their abuser, which is always a hard thing for people to understand that are outside of the relationship. You try to talk to them and they're like, well, if they're that bad, why are you sticking around? And then... Once they get you into isolation, that gives them more control. That gives them even more control over you. So then they tell you or others that you're crazy. They start to spread this. In episode one, I was trying to lead you up to how people, normal, sane, rational people, get this crazy thing. And it's really quite a phenomenon. And so they they now need to move the crazy into another level. And that's to convince people around you that you're crazy. So it's really one of the most effective tools. And it's really the one that I've heard about for so many years, the I'm crazy thing. And he told me I'm crazy or she told me I'm crazy. And they do that because it's a dismissive act. Okay. You're not good enough because remember, you're crazy. It's a way to dismiss you and make you feel like you're less than. 
less than them. So the gaslighter psychopath knows that if they question your sanity, people will not believe you when you tell them the gaslighter is abusive or out of control. It's really a masterful technique. And it happens all the time to question your sanity because, and that's why um, with children, it becomes easier to question their sanity because you do so many absurd things that really they become unbelievable. So just remember in, inside of that big fat lie is a little bit of truth. So that's how they hide it. So just because the outside world, they're showing a different person. So Everybody in the outside world, outside of your orbit with this person, this corporation, or this thing, has a different view. And we always want to say, people always want to ask, why do they do that? Well, they do it because they can get away with it, and they do it because we don't normally catch them when they're doing it. So, so even when you start to report these things, naturally it can make you start to feel crazy. But if you, but it could also, at this point, start to make you look crazy. Okay, now you're feeling crazy. Now you're looking crazy. Okay. So they might even tell you things like, "Everybody else is a liar." Now that this is when you start checking with other people, they'll say, "Everybody else is a liar." So if you do have a few people in your court saying they're they're pointing back toward the psychopath in this case. They will convince you that everybody else in your family, the media, your work, people, whoever you're involved with is a liar. Everybody but them. So remember, the liar is telling you everybody else is a liar. But it's so insidious, it's hard to see at that point. And so here again, it questions your reality. You've never known someone with the audacity to do this. So they must be telling the truth, right? I mean, really, you see some things on the news days, and they're so outlandish that really you couldn't write this stuff up. But it's a manipulative technique. It also makes people turn to the gaslighter for the correct information. Really. It, this information isn't correct at all, but they get you coming back to them. So because your other people have been deciding that you're crazy, everybody's convinced you're crazy. So it keeps you bonded with the abuser. And I did a whole series on that. I think I, I was trying to relate um, this kind of um, bonding with the abuser to Stockholm Syndrome. But anyway, so, um, so at the extreme, they're trying to do is to dominate and control. I mean, that's really what the end result is here. And once they get to undermine you, you know, we can look through, back through history and see very clear markings of this happening. So my, by, it's like they did it with the, the Jewish people. The Jews were dirty. They were this. They were that. They were all people that we could find a common interest against. That's how manipulation and on, on a grass tail by making others not as, as um, diminishing them. So by maintaining an intensifying and innocent, an incessant, not innocent, an incessant stream of lies and co coercions, the gaslighter keeps a gaslight E in a constant state of insecurity. You're in a lot of doubt. You're in a lot of fear. You really start to question where to turn to. And the gaslighter or psychopath in this case can explain their victims at will, can exploit their victims at will. And it's all about the gaining of power. I keep coming back to this. It's power and control. So if you look at just society in general, who has the power and control? The money. So I'd like to give you some more specific examples of gaslighting than I did at the last episode. And um, I 
just pulled a couple, and there's a lot of them. So I, I'll do, I, I did a whole section in my book about these examples these psychopaths came up with. And um, he, one of them thinks that, um, that what they said is really just to get self-doubt going. But he says he hears people with questions like, and saying things like, am I following him properly? In other words, they're aware that you may not be following them properly because, uh, and so what he said was that in people's minds, he felt like they're saying things like, is he right? And am I actually not quite smart enough to keep up with him in full flow? Have I made a massive blunder? It's all coming back to see how the victim is asking these questions of themselves when really the person doing the abuse is the one we should be looking at. So they start to question, set you up for questions. And so then he continues on and says, this is a quote from him. He says, half the time people take themselves from, from here straight to being on the defensive and don't really know why. See how the psychopath has a much better um, intuitive into this than we even do. And he goes on to say, well, it's knowing I've just explained why to them and impatiently trying to go over it again for the slower kids in the back of the class. So what he's saying is that we know this is the way you process things. So, you know, I'll keep treating you very dismissively. And so then he continues on to say, is the person who apparently knows what is going on more likely than the increased, confused, and slightly upset person who doesn't? So he's saying that the person we're confused, upset, and all this stuff, so we really start to lose track of what's going on here. And then he goes on to say, I'm sure you've come across it before, but heavily implied, but straight-faced, denying. That's what he said they use as a technique. Deny it with a straight face. And they use it by saying things like, well, there's other people sniffing around this relationship and to try to get a rile out of you and control the situation. So... If this is a relationship or if it was a boss, they'd make you feel like somebody else is coming down the pike to take your job. So th then he continues on, I'll quote him here. As I said before, people are much more likely to act conservatively than they are speculatively. In other words, we just stay with whatever track they've got us on. So what he means by that is you're more likely to believe him or her than you are to go outside this box and to start thinking about other ways. When you start to get your mind controlled, you have a harder time thinking for yourself. And then, of course, you enter with the whole PTSD thing, and it really confuses the issue. So he, I think that what he's showing here is a lot of disdain for people. So, And then he talks about women, and he says, Women all seem to utterly despise each other anyway. So a little reminder that I'm with one of them out of choice rather than necessity can help things move along peacefully. He's saying that mostly this keeps the other even more insane neurosis at bay. In other words, he's talking about their partner as being just insanely neurotic and stuff. And so they want to diminish you for that. So they consider it, he says, like debt consolidation for anxieties. I suppose there's really quite a statement here. 
like debt consolidation for anxiety. Similarly, not showing any interest or concern when the other person goes out with a male friend seems to give much the same results. So he's saying that um, he will ignore the victim for a while, and then if they think they're going to get even with him or her by going out with somebody else, he's got a surprise for them. Um, so he would, he talked about it further, and what he would do would he would trick his girlfriends. So if they were going out, he wouldn't see them for a while. And then, well, I'm going to go out with this other, they, they, the other, the victim would take the bait and say, well, you haven't seen me for a while. I'm going to go out with this other person, hoping to get some reaction. But naturally, he'd already thought this out. So he would show no emotion and try to push that person down into the crazy lane. So he goes by saying this. If, or rather, when it's brought up, this is bringing up, saying an, another relationship, it will be without full without fail, especially if they're doing it to try to get a rise out of me. So if you try to convince the psychopath that you're moving on with somebody else, they're not, you're not going to get a rise. The, the relationship is going to end when they say it's going to end, okay? And if it backfires, so he, you try to set him up. So he, what he's saying, if it backfires in their face, meaning that he doesn't um, react in any way to you saying you're going out with somebody else, he says, I'm not crippled by insecurities and don't have an overwhelming need to control you. That's what he tells the victim. If you could try offering me the same degree of confidence and respect, then maybe we'll have not so many arguments over imagined slights. Is that a perfect example of gaslighting? It's turned this whole thing around. See how he's talking about this. The person's trying to grab his attention by making a comment about another person, but he doesn't go into the jealousy route. What, what he or she does is they go into the further demean the person route. And so it makes you feel like you are really a foolish, silly person, and you can just go off and do that. So then he continues on. He clarifies it by saying, on the other hand, perhaps I am just unusual in that I am not premeditatively malicious about it. <laughs> well, I got that. That's... Um, big big lie right there. He's not malicious about it. Okay. I suppose the fact I can go from exploding with rage one minute to totally serene and conciliatory the next is probably a main form or vice versa. See, the, a lot of it's for dramatic. So if you, you don't have anything invested in something, you can act all mad. And then he gave me an example about act all mad and then all of a sudden act all nice. But so what he would do, he describes it here, is he would loudly be explaining that he's not getting involved. So they'll start this thing. You want to come back with your response. And, hey, I'm not involved. Leave me alone. So they'll also declare it's a waste of their time to discuss it with someone so unreasonable. That's how, that's where the crazy part comes in. And this is continuing with his quote. All the while clearly doing the opposite of these things is probably another. So he's, when I'm interviewing them, they're going through their own process of discovery here. So he, they want to take it out of that process. So it's completely unemotional, disinterested, followed by apparent frantic emotional pieces or extreme anger, anger, upset or seeming confused would be another. So they'll rock it back and forth. This helps to keep you off, off bay because you start to wonder, gee, we were having a big argument and all of a sudden the guy's over there making a sandwich. So, um, But that helps to dismiss you. It helps to also keep you crazy. And you can see by their own words that they have this thing completely plotted out. I mean, there was I was just amazed when I bring up these questions that 
um, they would just come back like with these things. And so he's really saying it's not premeditated. May, and he's saying that maybe he's not malicious. Well, um, come on. This is pretty malicious stuff to do to any, anybody. But see, his view is it's not malicious. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to be in a relationship with someone who behaves in such a malicious way? That's where the red flags come in here. Why do I want to be around somebody who's thinking this way about me? Or do I want to work for somebody who really has this ability to turn on me? And these are the only questions that I could ask. And you may be able to find the answers for yourself. Ask yourself why. What is it about me that allows me to stay in this situation? So let's continue here. And we'll talk about what Fred has to say. Fred was a really um, loose cannon in this thing. There was Fred, Bill, and Steve. And he went on and on about a lot of different things. But what he said was pretty significant. Um, with him, I ended up probably with oh, just hundreds and hundreds of pages. But anyway, um, he he said that out of the three of them, he didn't know the term. But let's talk about um, what he had to say. Actually, not knowing the term, in the end, he turned on me about that because I guess I he felt like I knew more than he did. I, I was just asking a question. But so I would say that Fred was probably the most explosive one. So because he was so explosive and so bombardic with information, he actually said, um, let's talk about, we talked before about what Bill had said about gaslighting. Um, he says that gaslighting is a term I've only just learned, but I like it very much. The term that is. It suits what is, what is perfectly, not just intent, but spectacle. Make them flicker, make them dim. He's talking about the victims here. Make them blaze brighter than ever before. Push the limit of brightness and darkness without ever overstepping and turning them off or burning them out. Do you want to burn brightly? I do. We're alive at the edge. Ha! Some of us are only alive at the edge or over it, feeling falling forever. I think it must tie in with the word salad concept. I really don't go in for that myself because sometimes people talk nonsense when you can get something maybe more constructive done with more sense. Anyway, it's really more misdirection. Stalling for thinking. That's what he thinks about gaslighting. Stalling for time. In other words, if, you, if they gaslight you into thinking you're crazy and you kind of take a step back, this is a big stall tactic. Mudding the waters is another thing that he points out here. But word salad, he says, is basically gaslighting. A conversation by wobbling the other person's brain around with so many mad jumps, non-sequiturs, <laughs> and just my pronunciation here, I think it was, I was recalling a foreign language, but it kind of is. So he's saying that he wants to have all these mad interruptions. He wants to make you even start thinking that maybe he's speaking in a foreign language because they, they've got to disrupt your, your train of thought here. So he continues on. Frankly, most people are so confused by a coherent, true account delivered at speed and with details that talking nonsense seems like a waste of time. So what he's saying that 
it's easier to confuse us with the truth, which is where you get to the base of all this gaslighting stuff. And what he's saying is, if I tell you the truth, I tell it to you fast enough, and I tell you a lies in between, you're going to believe me. So it's all about the conception, the, the perception that we all start to get from these conversations, because we're so off balance by this point that we don't know what's up. Um, we were we had that happen here recently. They put in this big tax cut for the 1%, and then while we were all busy over here with some other self-created crisis, they put in another one. <laughs> Missed us all. So he goes on to talk about a little bit of his strategy, and this is um, this is Steve that I'm talking about here. Steve was another one of the guys, and he had another strategy, but they all kind of dovetailed into one. It's According to him, it's easy to make someone think they are at fault. You just have to make them doubt themselves, which is easier than they have low self-esteem. So you get somebody with low self-esteem and it's easier to get them to doubt. That's where they're picking out the type, the kind and caring people, self-esteem. That's why I'm thinking probably works with kids too. So he says things like, you have a brain like a sieve. And then they changed things around. He was really, he was the he was the knock on the wall guy. So, um, but he gets it even further. Um, he says, "I was just, I it was just about the games I play. I was only saying that I pretend to play these games to get a change in a person or to make them more dependent on me. We all circle back to control here, so I'll have more control. I would tell my girl." to meet me, and this is where it gets really good, he gives a very specific example about meeting his girlfriend or the unfortunate victim in his life, I say. So he says, I would tell my girl to meet me at a bar for a drink. And before she gets there, and this is where they get into this really deceptive training, this train of thought that, I mean, I, I, I personally could never dream this stuff up, but anyway, so let me continue on with him. So what he does, before she gets there, I go and find a staff member that I think she will be jealous of. In other words, picking out somebody that the girlfriend, he doesn't pick out somebody like me, he picks out somebody like the girlfriend. <clears throat> um, and he starts talking to them, but in a way that will not make them think I'm trying to pick them up. But so they seem familiar. In other words, talking in a way that makes the two of them, if you're looking across the room, look familiar. So he's having this conversation. So... I maybe even tell them you're meeting your girl there and it's a really nice place, but he keeps an eye out for her to walk in so he can see her first. In other words, his date, he's over talking to this woman. Yep, 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 yep. And this is his words. I'm continuing. <clears throat> then you can pretend you didn't see her come in. And before she comes over to you, you can say something funny to get the staff member to giggle, giggle a bit. And then go to walk off. Then your girl has seen you with them and not sure what to think about it. And when she asks you what that was, this is where these people are so evil. And when she asks you what that was, thinking that you might be friends, you just say, Melon, just an old friend. Don't offer to in introduce them. And that's just as, um, yeah, so... <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, who could think this of it? As some small game to play. He, then he asked me, is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess that was what I meant, but I wasn't sure that the implications were quite so devious. So 
then he goes on to say, what is what is more neatly and and ironically delicious way to teach teach such an a, in, inter important lesson. So he's using this mirroring because he sees this as an important lesson. Um, and then he goes on to say, if you ignore all the warnings and convince yourself that you're more intelligent in possession of more insight into people than I am and try to take advantage of me when it all blows up in your face and you have to face your own inse insecurity. So what they really feel threatened by if you, if they, if they think that you think that you're smarter than them. So they want to twist all this around to make sure it's all your fault. So what he goes on to say is try to control me and I will not only control you, but my survival instincts dictate that I will also neutralize the threat of you. Even trying to do it again, ever try to do it again. The worst cases, the ones where I really can't excuse, be, find any excuse in my actions or any other grounds are when this kind of stuff happens. So to them, it's just kind of happening because it's just bred into them to minimize others and retain control. So you can start to see here, these aren't random things. And um, if you're dealing with a workplace psychopath, this this can translate into actions. If you're working for one, I mean, you walk into a room and what Steve was talking about was the same thing at the bar. They'll, they'll play tricks on you. You walk into a room at work, people like all of a sudden go quiet, start looking around. So yeah, they have a lot of ways that they use this because they just want to set up a scenario that you start um, feeling like you're on the outside because then what you do, you go closer to the abuser. So it's very interesting to me, this gaslighting thing, because it's really not just for one-on-one -on -one relationships. Um, for It can be done in a global way. You, you can take an entire nation. I mean, if you can study World War II, you can see how the ideas and thoughts toward particular groups can be molded and changed based on views of a few. Which Because actually, you know, the Jewish population, this came up again here because a synagogue was, um, a bunch of people were killed at a synagogue, and... Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think they're like 2% of the population. So you, you got to figure that there's a lot of hate being built up. And we're kind of, um, I'm not going to get political, but we're, we're running down that road again, okay, about the others. They want us to always be divided and separated. So it kind of translates into overall. So because I've been talking about um, the 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 workplace and also relationships it, it's it can happen all around the world and it's it's how people start to um, get other people to perceive you when they want to diminish you and to corner you and to try to um, you know gaslight their way into your life so it's really important to realize um, some of these things will be helpful if you watch out for them um, if you start to watch out for them you'll start to see them they're not hiding they're subtle and you might really start to see that um, people who've never heard this conversation will actually turn it all off and feel like it's never happened to them, so it can't happen to others. And I'm here to tell you it can happen to others. So um, then he has some, um, Bill talked about, Bill was the, the workplace guy. He really, anyway, so um he was talking about, um, I was asking him about how he managed all these people because he's in the work environment. And um, he had some pretty specific things to say. 
he said the ones he 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 called um, people his puppets, puppets like little handmade puppets because remember they're they're up here and we're just down here to be manipulated. The ones that are the most difficult to manage are what I call the amiables. They are the ones that want everyone to get along, sacrifice something. They want to keep the peace. They look for the option that is mutually agreeable. But these types are very easy to convince. These types are very easy to convince into anything. So they're they're easy to convince because they want to get along, but they're the hardest for him to manage. So um he goes on to talk about people that he finds around the office and I was always I've always been wondering, well now I'm kind of uh, my wondering is wandering off into this groups of um, psychopaths as pedophiles and rings and all this stuff that I for a long time was wondering how do they work in groups but so he goes on to say he's talking about manipulating people through gaslighting in the workplace and he said you would think that this would be a breeze right absolutely not I can convince them that I want them to believe, and tomorrow someone else has convinced them into something else. These are these amiable people that he doesn't like to have around. They need constant attention, constant reassurance. They also experience heavy guilt when making the tougher decisions, such as terminating an employee. See, this is where... um, it gets complicated because they need all these people around them to do these things. So he says, um, once convinced, I have to make sure they do not change their minds before it is completed. In other words, he's got to keep on track of them, which he probably finds very burdensome. I would typically avoid them, but he he, he looks at everything as an investment. So what he's trying to say here is that they actually exhibit traits that a kind and caring person would would exhibit. So he's looking at that as something as a downer because having guilt over a tough decision, which clearly he has no guilt or shame over decisions like that. So he goes on to talk about it. He says, this is why, and I'll get to corporations acting as psychopaths down the road, but this is why I believe that they get hired with intent by a lot of places because they will do things that the rest of us would never be able to go to sleep at night thinking about. Like, could you really go in and lay off all of your neighbors and friends and stuff in some draconian layoff so that you could get a bigger bonus? I don't think so, but they can. So that's why they've gotten into power in a lot of big corporations because they're seen as somebody who can effortlessly do these kinds of things, which, yeah, they can. So what he goes on to say is, what will I get for my time? This is how he's calculating all the people in the office. Well, if I can get the same return with someone else for less than time involved, I would choose someone else. Unfortunately, this is rarely an option, poor guy. If there is only the one person in the position I need to influence, then I have no other option. They always have a way of explaining their ways around. So what he's saying here is, and he goes on to continue on, It's a common occurrence that I make someone angry. Yeah, I bet. Luckily, I have the ability to turn this around on them, making it appear that they are angry, that I call them out on their mistakes. This does create enemies from time to time, which must be dealt with. So, Anyway, so he's getting people angry. He's using all the things, and he's given some pretty good examples. Um, 
And then he goes on to say, I have a special person who reports to me and is blindly on my side. When he hears anyone say anything negative, he makes sure I'm aware. He also explains my version of events. It's an automatic defense system. So he's, you know, they get these people around them who are going to wholeheartedly agree. So he really has... um, he really has people that work for him. He has people that he's targeting at work, and all the time he's doing his gaslighting. So he says the most effective, however, is when he tells me what the employees are saying regarding my changes to policy. This gives me the ability to prevent messy conflicts with the union by stacking the deck in my favor early on. He also aids in convincing them that my ideas are actually better for them. And when he talks about the union, this particular person works, in, he's in a government place, and God knows I feel sorry for the people working in that building. So he goes on to say, and he talks about a pretty um, pretty specific incident here and how he manipulated this situation. He says, recently, an employee had the nerve to confront me. This was done in a semi-public area of the office. The witnesses were close enough to know that something was happening, but not close enough that they could hear every word. So he positioned this in an open area. You could see, but you can't hear. So pay attention to this part because he really gets um, interesting here. So I knew this employee was going to take this further, and the truth would severely damaged my long-term success. So this person is a threat, so this is how he's going to go after her. I began to, this is him, not me, okay. I began to provoke this employee in order to increase her anger, and I know she was prone to raise her voice and appear aggressive. I think she probably raised her voice and moved her arms around. So remember, all these people over here, they can see, but they can't hear any of this, okay? So he gets her to raise her voice, which anybody could see somebody moving your arms, raising your voice across the room, okay? So so once she began to raise her voice at my provocation, I terminated her, fired her, or you guys say sacked her. See how he got her to raise her voice so he could terminate her? And so then he goes on to say, explain how the rest of this little trick plays out. Being a government agency, we have a union, and with that, it requires a hearing after termination to ensure that was just cause. So, knowing this, I began to stack the deck. Boy, did he ever. And here's where it really gets interesting about this deck stacking. Um, so, he goes on to say, I spoke to several key employees who were present during the exchange, but keep in mind, they were present, but they couldn't hear. They could only watch hands moving, voices, whatever. When I spoke to them, so he goes around and he has this conflict, gets rid of this woman, gets her fired, but he knows that there's going to be a review. So what does he do? I was sure that I did not directly bring up the topic of the argument. Didn't bring anything up. Just goes around and starts talking to people. So what he does is he gets these people to all agree with him. So what he did, which was very um, slick and evil, he said, I would supply information such as she cursed, she made threats, 
and she had no basis for her concerns. By the time I was done, the witnesses believed they had actually seen the story that I provided them. Then, and this is where it gets really crazy, is he gave them first-hand accounts that he created them and he provided them with, okay? These people knew nothing other than what they saw, so he comes around, just kind of subtly gives them information. So this is like gaslighting at, it, at, its, at its ring. So then he would... Um, He'd say little things like, um, oh, I made, she made threats at me. She was swearing. And, you know, they saw her, her hands going. They saw maybe a little bit of. So then he, he thinks, um, what he does is then he plants this information. So, so now, remember, this entire story was created by Bill, who's now telling these people this. So, so he goes, so furthermore, he was during these interviews he was certain to include these talks actually i was certain to include um ideas that made the rea reality seem real so he goes on and on about wanting to get her angry and so he says by providing actual facts in a slightly different chronological order my story was believable so this is where it really starts to I never saw this one coming, but he, um, when, when, when they, meaning the people in charge, because he knew that he was going to have to go through a review process after he fired this woman. Um, so he, he thought about all this, right? So this is where he really, um, brings out his full psychopath colors. So when they, meaning the people in charge of the evaluation to see if the firing should happen or not, when they received when they received the statements from the terminated employee, okay, she gave her statement. The the fact she gave the fact she gave lined up with his, but they appeared in a different order than his. See, this is where he really stuck with this story and didn't really he did get her upset because he provoked her and stuff so his story was gonna was gonna hold up but what he did was he just reversed it so he got everybody to believe the story in reverse so then naturally when this poor person goes in to tell her side of the story what he said was this gave credibility to my statement since essentially the facts were the same since the witnesses the ear witnesses, not or eyewitnesses, not ear. Since the witnesses collaborated my version of events, it was determined that the employee was intentionally not disclosing her threats and swearing. The termination was upheld. So she tells the same story, but he's told the story in reverse. So Anyway, so he very cleverly shifted around. So the only conclusion was that she was the liar and they held up the, the determination. So you see how they take something very simple. And before you know it, you're a lying, screaming lunatic. And everybody agrees that you're a lying, screaming lunatic because they actually saw you. But nobody heard this whole thing, okay? So I'd like to close here, but I'd like to say that here's what you got here. Score one for the psychopath, score zero for the victim. So with that, I'd like to close for today. And remember, if you would like to hear more of the 
um, story here and follow this thing. You might check out the all of the podcasts that I did were also uploaded onto YouTube, so you have the audio version here. And if you'd like to click that bell and subscribe, I'll see you next week. And goodbye for now, and be safe out there. Thanks for joining me today. Mm-hmm.